Welcome to Improving Intimacy, a podcast to help single and married Latter-day Saints strengthen their family connections and marriages. Daniel A. Burgess is the host of Improving Intimacy. Daniel's a marriage and family therapist, father, husband, and author. Here's Daniel on this episode of Improving Intimacy. Welcome to another episode of Improving Intimacy. On today's episode, we have Sarah, who has offered to go into a very vulnerable and um, maybe even scary past uh, with sexual assault and what what you did to, uh, is it fair to say, heal or recover, Mm -hmm. uh, thrive in spite of that that tragedy. Um, So welcome, Sarah. I'm glad to have you here. This is a topic I haven't discussed yet. So one, I want to be uh, sensitive to your your background and, and uh, history, and I'll let you guide the conversation, but um, you've expressed the importance of sharing this for other people, so I'm excited to hear what you have to say. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Why are you here today, and, and what is it exactly you want to share? Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on. I am very passionate about this because I remember uh, growing up thinking that this was I was surely the only person who this was happening to. And then as we'll discuss later, some issues that came up in marriage that just increased that feeling of isolation and shame and loneliness. And I vowed at the time to, if I ever have an opportunity to talk about it, to talk about it so that someone out there is not feeling the same way I did. So that's um, kind of where I am, why I'm so passionate about this. And I think we can just start with that kind of history of what it was like to grow up and date and then move into marriage and have some of those same issues with little education yes it's a it's an important topic that we don't discuss a lot and I, I appreciate your your bravery in doing this so let's we don't need to go in, I mean you're welcome to go into as much detail as you absolutely want but for context will you are you comfortable with sharing maybe the age this happened uh, so we have a little understanding the history what's going on there and sure. uh, any details that you're uh, comfortable with sharing sure so I grew up um, just in like a normal LDS family, a uh, very strong LDS family. All my siblings remained active, so I had great role models uh, looking up to them. I was active in young women's. Everything was just in line for the, the perfect fairy tale story. And I never really dated much in high school. And I just remember thinking, oh, I just want a boyfriend so badly. And I, I watched all my friends date, and I just thought, oh, that sounds, you know, so wonderful. That's something that I'd really like. And then I had my first boyfriend, and we went out on a few dates. And I was 17 at the time, and I remember thinking, being so excited for the first kiss. And then the first kiss happened, and when within maybe 5 to 10 seconds, my shirt was off, and he was unfastening my bra clasp and I thought so you mean he took it off yeah yeah he I mean it was like first kiss like peck and then you know I thought I was gonna have this time to like oh kind of like float away and enjoy this moment of happy ever after and it was like whoa what is going on and I I didn't know what was going on I didn't know what these things I was feeling what they were and I was just very overwhelmed with the situation and I didn't stop anything because I, I, I think I was just struck with terror and just being overwhelmed and thinking, well, this, no one's talked about what this is. I don't know what is going on. And um, I, I don't actually even remember how that ended. But I remember leaving, sitting in the car, feeling like I can't go home. 
you know, my parents are going to know that, like, I broke the law of chastity. I'm going to have to talk to the bishop, who's, like, my best friend's dad. You felt responsible for it. A hundred percent. It was my fault, a hundred percent. And just that was the beginning of, and I was 17 years old. That was the beginning of not talking to, you know, my parents about these experiences, thinking that I was the only one, but also thinking that that's what every girl was experiencing. I was the only one, yeah, I was the only one responsible, but every other girl surely had to be having these experiences, but it wasn't their fault. So that was just kind of the beginning of a long trail. And I didn't necessarily at at that time know that that was sexual assault. I just kind of thought, that's dating, like, here we go. (laughs) How scary. So scary. And he was preparing to go on a mission, and so I was like, oh, well, like, he's this great guy who's, you know, going to go and serve the Lord and do all these things. And like, surely it's my fault. And I'd been, you know, raised with this mentality that modesty is my responsibility and how I dress will directly impact what boys do to me and how boys think. And that's what you, you're thinking was your fault. Was totally. Because do you feel like you were dressed in modestly that evening? No, actually I had um, come from playing um, a volleyball game. So I'd been wearing like athletic gear and in my mind, I'm like sweaty and gross. Like (laughs) no one wants to do that. Right. But, um, and also I I should note that I developed rather quickly as a child. I was, I started puberty at 10 years old. So at 10 years old, I was fully grown as a, (laughs) as a woman. And I think I internalized a lot of shame about that of having this really grown up body and this little grown up, this little girl's brain and not, really understanding how to handle both of those mindsets. So when that happened, it was like, oh, well, that's because I have like this grown woman's body and he can't control himself. And therefore it was your fault. Uh, Totally. Totally. So that was um, the first experience. Then I um, graduated high school. He went on a mission and I just kept having experience after experience after experience with these, these boys who were raised in the same faith that I was raised in, who had just no concept of boundaries. You know, I just started to to um, think that if I was going to be kissed, I was going to be touched. And there was nothing really that I could do to stop it. It was just normal. I came to expect that of, you know, good return missionaries, good boys who were leaving on missions. That was just what dating was for me. I didn't think anything different. I, I think that's the most tragic thing I'm hearing. Well, one, the most tragic thing is that you were abused. Uh, I guess the close second is that you weren't even aware that you were abused mm-hmm. and taken advantage of. And at what point did you look back and say, that was wrong, that wasn't my fault? Not until I was married. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and because I had nothing to compare it to, I didn't know anything about sex I didn't know anything about consent I didn't know and at this point I didn't even know that girls could masturbate (laughs) I literally thought that it was just a boy thing oh you mean like physiologically yes I didn't think it was possible like I knew absolutely nothing about sex and about bodies so this was happening and I was just thinking oh like this is just normal so I didn't I didn't equate it with abuse I wasn't having traumatic reactions to it but I did start to kind of spiral a little bit where I just kind of thought, well, if guys are going to like do this to me, then I'm just going to like kiss and have fun with whoever I want and do whatever I want. And Interesting. Not worry about the consequences. 
Tell me a little bit more about that line of thinking. What, what, what led you to that as opposed to not dating at all, maybe, or some other, is it, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What, what gave you that conclusion? You're just going to have fun. You're going to kiss and regardless of the consequences, what led you there? Uh, I think part of it was I was seeing uh, my, my dear friends get married from what I understand. And, and maybe they had been through similar things and just hadn't talked to me about it, but they were getting married and I wasn't. And so I kind of thought, oh, well, I'm just like the girl who's going to get passed around. Oh my so goodness. I'm going to have fun in the meantime. <laughs> so you were taking on a narrative that you were uh, broken or undesired, or it, would that be fair to say, or, or what were your feelings or thoughts? I wasn't feeling broken, but I was feeling very much they're just interested in my body. They're not interested in a long-term commitment. They're not interested in marriage. I'm not like these other girls. They're they're the marriageable type. I'm They're just in it for my body. And... At the same time, I was kind of having like this body awakening where I was finally feeling my brain match up with my body in maturity. I was feeling like, oh, I'm coming into this like woman's body. I'm having, I'm feeling myself become less impulsive. I'm feeling myself, you know, develop as mentally as a woman. I'm leaving that childhood teenage years behind. I'm feeling empowered in my body. And at the same time, I'm only being wanted for my body. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to use my body however I want. I'm curious. We, we, we talked about this a little before uh, we started the podcast, and we shared some thoughts and ideas here. But for the, for the listeners, um, you're, you're in your, your mid-20s, just for context. Uh, so we're talking about a younger generation. And, and I realize I, I'm, I have a good 20 years on you, and uh, dating has always been a struggle. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I don't know totally. if there's a way to say it's worse now or better or or the same. However, in the context that it seems like we as a church have been doing more, uh, whether it be through firesides or church manuals, really emphasizing how men are supposed to treat women with respect, I, I think they've done more with that um, in the last 20 years, yet you're not alone. This mm-hmm. is a story I hear all the time. Mm-hmm. You're just one of the first who've been willing to come and talk about it. Tell me, what, what are your thoughts? What, what's your opinion of why the young men are thinking this way? Why, why do they think this is okay, or do they think it's okay? Mm-hmm. Well, and we know that sexual assault and, and rape has been around for as long as people have been on the earth. Like, that's just, it's just the downfall of man. Um, well, and women, both can be abusers um, or perpetrators. But I think in the context of this, there was this generation of like 60s and 70s where it was free love and you know the world was going so radically in one direction that the church narrative pulled so radically in the other direction I remember talking to my mom like years later after um after I had actually been like more assaulted and saying like why didn't you tell me like why didn't you tell me what to expect or tell me anything about my body or just tell me what sex is and she she said, your father and I felt like if we talked about it, we were giving you permission to do it. And that to me was just that mindset of that generation. The policies that were coming out from the church in that generation was all fear-based, shame-based. And at the same time, there's more material available. So we're, 
you know, our children at this time are educating themselves with porn, which is a terrible sex educator. Mm-hmm. And they're not learning, you know, they're not reconciling what they're seeing, what they're feeling, and what, what the person in, in the porn is doing. And so, you know, if the person in porn who's um, on the receiving end is showing fear and showing, you know, discomfort, and these young boys are watching it, enjoying it, how, how are they to not know that it's going to be different in person with a partner? Now, how are they not, how, they're not going to know, oh, this is a boundary that I'm crossing. This person is scared. Their body is showing scared. Their, their face is showing fear. Their voice is showing fear. They may not have said no, but we've set them up for failure. We set them up in this position of not knowing they're crossing boundaries, not knowing what consent is because we've been so afraid to talk about it. I, I think you articulated it perfectly. This is a, a, the constant problem I'm seeing. I, I usually see two extremes mm-hmm. um, where young men refuse to date or they don't know how to engage in dating at all. And so they don't even, it's not even a physical thing. They don't even know how to involve themselves. And again, this mm-hmm. has always been a case, but I've been seeing this kind of this extremism yeah. uh, getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, the divide. And then we have the others who, while they understand that porn is bad, and it seems like in the church we've done, we've talked more about porn. We we have more anti-porn pro, uh, programs and mm-hmm. organizations out there than we've ever had. Yet this is becoming a bigger and bigger issue. And I think what I was hearing you say was, yes, we're told, and, and I want to clarify for the audience too, because it could sound like we're saying, oh gosh, the church screwed up in all of its teachings there. Um, do you consider yourself an active member now? Yeah. And yep, active is... member, temple holding member, have callings. I was really, I was the young women's president just barely. And, and forgive me, I, I, I didn't want to make that as though that was the most important thing here. I just want to give context that totally. this isn't just criticism. This is this is crucial for mm-hmm. healthy, engaging uh, dating behavior. Absolutely. And so what we see here is. Young men who are told what not to do, and you said it before the interview, mm-hmm. it's because they're not taught what to do. Right. Uh, we could talk all day and night about what not to do, but when you're placed in a situation, all you have to go off of is what you've seen and mm-hmm. heard, and that's the don'ts mm-hmm. and the bad role models of porn. Exactly. And at the same time, as a girl, the, the rhetoric that I was receiving was not what not to do. You know, dress your your body in this way so that the boys, the boys can control them thought their thoughts. You know, act this way so that you're not tempting to the boys. There was all this don't don't don't, and it very much was my responsibility how the boys and the the men in my life treated me. And I have fan- I have a fantastic father and I have fantastic brothers who never once crossed any sort of sexual boundary, never even came close to it with anyone that I'm aware of not with myself or not anyone else, but it was, I remember walking up to the stand to give a, like a young woman talk thinking, oh my gosh, are the men in the ward like looking at my butt as I walk up there? Is my skirt too tight? Are my hips too wide? Am I, you know, are they cheating on their wives by lusting after me? Oh my goodness. (laughs) And I was like 16. (laughs) First of all, the thought that comes to me is no youth should ever be concerned with that, thinking about that. And you're saying 
those fears and concerns were present because of the modesty lessons that you've received totally thinking that you need to do everything you can to help protect these men young and old Mm -hmm. from being tempted totally that's heavy super heavy this is heavy and i'm going to diverge just a little bit here because i think it's important to speak to people are probably listening here and say gosh well if if young men understand that porn is bad then why are they behaving? Okay, I hear that they weren't taught how to behave correctly. A little insight that I've discovered in working with young men is this kind of same thing again. They have been tempted. They cannot resist their urges. Uh, this is the, sorry, this is the, the scripts that they're told. Um, once they experience desire, they're on a dangerous path. Uh, one, one, uh, support group and and i don't mean to be critical but the concern is one support group actually says it's satan's chemical (laughs) and this is an lds support group so imagine so the reason why i'm bringing this up is is you as a 16 year old you were concerned about married men sinning by looking at you and now with young men what i've seen is something similar different but similar Mm -hmm. in that they start to have this experience where they're getting aroused. They have an erection. They immediately think they're doomed. Yeah. I yeah. had one 14-year-old tell me. I, I thought I thought he'd... I, I, I'm not trying to be loose with my words or, or silly at all. This is the impression in his countenance when he came in. I thought he killed somebody. Mm-hmm. It, this kid was scared. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he started to say things like, a uh, young man saying things like, I'm on the path to becoming a rapist. Mm-hmm. I'm on a path to become um, a serial cur- killer. He was saying these things, and then he said something that just, that alone was scary and heavy. Uh, but where I'm going with this is, he said, I've also destroyed my, uh, what was the words he, he used? He said something to the effect of, I've disappointed my future wife and let my future kids down. That's so sad. Just like you. Well, again, different. But yeah. like you were carrying this huge weight. Yeah. So these young men, what I'm seeing is they feel like they're at this impossible journey. And so mm-hmm. they just give up. Yeah. And they say, I, I'm just doing it. I'm already gone. Yeah. And this poor kid, he he was scared out of his mind. So people are probably mm-hmm. listening and say, well, what still, why would, well, because they're not yeah. taught what is good. Yeah. So all they're going off of is their fear and they're given in because yeah. they recognize they can't even resist it. It, it, do, it seems impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, does that relate to your experience or, or what are your thoughts? Totally. Well, it's looking back now. And even at the time I thought, you know, I, these were good guys. In every other regard, they were good guys. And then I think it just was, there was no boundary. There was no consent. None. It's hard because we've, we've damaged both, you know, both genders in this talk. We've, we've told the girls that it's their responsibility and their, sorry for the strong language, but they're damned for having female bodies. And we to, we've told the boys they're damned for having physiological responses that they can't control. And... You know, at that, and this is the extreme that I think we deal with is at, I was 21 years old and in my minor was sex education 
And I remember sitting at the University of Utah going, and my, my professor saying female masturbation and going, that's not possible. I was 21, and I had no clue that that was something that girls did because I had only ever heard masturbation in reference to voice in the mm-hmm. church. And that was the extent of my sex education. <laughs> that was a mind-blowing thing of like, holy cow, we have hurt each other so badly just by not knowing, A, how our bodies work, B, our bodies are working normally, and C, let's now communicate with each other. <laughs> None of that was in my vocabulary. So to kind of continue with my story, Please. I kind of went through this rough past where I was like, I'm just going to kiss anyone who has two legs and walks into the room. And, you know, at the same time, I'm still like, <laughs> I'm a secretary in the Relief Society presidency in my singles ward. And I feel like I'm living these two separate lives. There's like the version of me who is dating and there's the version of me who's going to church and I can't reconcile them. And then the, the age, I turn in my mission papers and I said, I'm going to go on a mission. That's going to be what's going to turn my life around. I'm going to go on a mission. So I, um, got myself kind of straightened out. I went on a mission. Uh, I had a great time. I came back and then I started dating again. Mm. And, um, this, this guy who I was dating, um, I thought this is going to be different. He took a, a couple of weeks to kiss me. We went out for a couple of times and the, the, my mission for me was very empowering because I learned how to speak up and out for myself. I think it's really hard to go on a mission and not kind of gain that confidence a little bit in yourself. Um, so I came back with that confidence of I'm going to, you know, now I know how to say no. And then I, I start dating this guy and it's like, oh, it's different. You know, he's, he's being such a gentleman and, you know, this could be, this could be like the long-term thing. And then things started to change again. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so um, we, we had hung out one night and his, his parents had left out of town and he was like, why don't you come out? You come over um, and we'll just like hang out and it'll be like a, you know, a really good evening. And um, I ended up st- sp- uh, spending the night. And nothing, like, nothing happened during the night. We just, like, fell asleep in the bed. We cuddled all night long. It, there was no no sexual pressure. And then it was, like, in the middle of the night, something changed. And then suddenly it was, like, he was begging me to do all of these things. And I, I just said, what is wrong with you? What has happened? And um, you, you called him out? I called him out, and he... he and then I just said to him, when was the last time you looked at porn? And he disclosed to me that he, and he, he said he had had a porn addiction since he was 14. And at this stage in my life, I was like, oh, well, <laughs> that's okay. I know a lot of guys deal with that. So this isn't going to like end our relationship, but I, I want you to like work through it. And I want you to talk to the bishop and, you know, I don't expect perfection, but I do, you know, I do want respect. So I'm thinking, I'm so grown up. I'm having this, like, really grown-up conversation. This guy's telling, and, you know, I I won't go too far into what I think about that now. But for the, the context of the story at this time, I was thinking, like, I'm, this, I'm so great that I can, like, work through this with him. And he's so great that he's being honest with me. So I think we're, like, on a, a great path, right? And we keep dating. And then he just starts walking across that boundary again. And I just keep thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got to fix him. 
I've got to, you know, I've got to be sexier so he's not looking at porn. You know, I've got to. And I was trying so hard not to do the things that he was wanting me to do. And at the same time, he was telling me, if you don't do these things, I'm going to look at porn. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So, again, I'm like, holy crap, how am I back at the spot where I'm, again, responsible for this guy's sexuality? At the same time, he's telling me he loves me and he wants to get married. There was just something about the relationship that was making me stick my heels in of we're not going to be exclusive. We're not going to date or we're, we're going to date other people because you can't figure this out. And until you can figure this out, I'm not jumping in with you. And I think, honestly, that that was probably the spirit trying to keep me safe. And I didn't recognize it at the time. But um, this was the relationship where it turned violent pretty quick. Physically violent? Sexually violent. So the there was just a lot of um, fear involved in it. There was a lot of manipulation. There was, you know, me saying no, me begging to stop. And there was just, no, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Um, but it had never turned into full penetration. Um, and then he, at some point in the relationship, he, he brings up marriage again. You know, if we get married, I'll be able to stop looking at this porn because we'll be able to do everything that we want. You know, it won't Such be. a lack of education there. <laughs> Huge Such lack a, of education. Or, or bad education. Yeah. I, oh, my goodness. I, and I, I'm believing it because I don't have any education either. So I'm, and my minor now is in sex education. And I'm like, yeah, I was sure, bring that great. Up. Like, <laughs> this will fix it. Because we that's what we've been taught in the church. It's like, you get married and then it's, yeah, no, that, it's no, no, no to go, go, go. And all yeah. your sexual problems are gone. Yeah, it's it's one of the biggest myths. Uh, I, I don't think it's fair to say a lie because I think the, the leadership and the people who are saying this truly believe it. I don't think they're being deceptive, but it just goes to the core of this whole podcast uh, episode is, the lack of education, the lack of good education, not just in the negative, but in, in informative uh, strategies. And, and I don't even know where that idea yeah. came from, that if you get married, the porn habit goes away. That's, could it be further from the truth? Right. If it, if it does, <laughs> it's coincidental. Right. That's mere coincidence. Um, we could talk about that a little bit more, but this is, this is sad. This yeah. is the, the thing that is most upsetting to me when, when working with people who have a lack of sexual education, because mm-hmm. uh, all they know is porn is bad, yeah. uh, but they have no idea yeah. of what it looks like to have a healthy relationship. So totally. you're dealing with this. How, how Are you able to say, can you say how you got out of it or yeah. how, what'd you do? So um, there were, so while, while we were dating, um, I kept thinking, there's this other guy who I know, we're really good friends. You know, if he would just come to me and just say, hey, would you marry me? I would do it in a heartbeat. Like, I just felt so strongly about this friend. And at the same time, this other guy is treating me so poorly. And I'm thinking it's all my fault. And I'm, you know, I'm feeling so guilty. And I'm, I'm going to my bishop and I'm telling my bishop, these things are happening. How, how do I fix them? And he's, you know, he's giving me more tools than anyone ever, ever had. He's giving me books about, you know, pornography. He's giving me, which were, I think, (laughs) very skewed towards kind of the church's narrative. I don't think they were necessarily as scientifically based. They were much more along the basis of it's an addiction. It's, you know, it's the same thing as doing cocaine. 
yeah. which yeah. is absolutely not true. Well, let's, I, I want to get into that. Um, and of course, I don't want to d- diverge yet. I do want to come back to that. So he was helpful. Was that at what point? Okay, so what you're saying is that guidance was helpful in, in ending this current relationship? It was helpful in knowing that it wasn't just my fault. Okay. And that I could be empowered in the relationship. And, you know, he was the first person who, who kind of said to me, like, if this isn't the future you want, then you don't have to be in it. But it... Good for him. Right? And so, but there was still... And that's the hard part about bishops is I think if it had been you know, someone with clinical understanding, they would have said, this is an abusive mm-hmm. relationship. And instead it was like, if you just don't want porn to be a part of your relationship, just date someone else. <laughs> and I was like, well, that, that would be nice, but you know, <laughs> open your eyes. That's not possible. Exactly. Um, so at this, and so at this point I'm like tr- taking my garments off cause I just feel so unworthy. And you, you weren't instructed to, you no. just chose to. And I'm just myself choosing not to take the sacrament because I just feel so unworthy. And, um, and then this guy who I've thought so much about calls me out of the blue and he's like, Hey, let's go to lunch. And we go to lunch one day and I just thought, okay, I'm ending it. I'm ending it because I, there's something about this guy. I'm going to end it. Um, so I did, I ended this relationship then I didn't ever, I didn't hear from this guy again. Uh, the, the guy you were interested <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah, the guy that I was interested in, who, who kind of gave me hope again for, for men. And I was like, well, that's, you know, that's probably better because I'm, you know, I'm in this spot where I probably need to do some healing and working on mm-hmm. myself. And um, so I don't date anyone for a while. And I, I work on myself and then um, I, I'm getting lonely. I'm getting really lonely and I, I run into the, this, this guy who I'd been, this guy who I'd been in the relationship with uh-huh. and I run into him on campus and he's like, Hey, do you want to come over? Even though you've cut it off? Uh, yeah, I've cut off. It's been months and I was so lonely that I was like, you of course, know, there's no boundaries. Yeah, there. there's no boundaries. And I'm just lonely. So I'm like, yeah, of course. Let's like, you know, we're good friends. And I, I still cared about him even though, cause well, I didn't l- know that you. it was an abusive relationship. Right. And I, I'm making an assumption here. You, mm-hmm. you, you just said that you were really lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you feel like that played into you saying yes also or? Yeah, totally. Okay. Like I was just, it was like just, you know, I was lonely. All my friends had been married. <laughs> I'm just like back for my mission. Not, you know, it's a hard transition back. We'd been dating for seven or eight months when, when we ended it. So now it's probably like nine or 10 months after. And, um, so we just start talking again. We just yeah. start being friends. And then this, you know, the other guy who I was interested in at the other time, he calls me up and he's like, do you want to go on a date? <laughs> his, so back, his so at the same time, yes. <laughs> so at the same time, these guys are like back in my life at the exact same time. And um, so long story short, I ended up saying, this is going to be so confusing probably to the listeners, but I, I ended up saying to this guy who I had been dating Hey, this, this other guy asked me out and, uh, cause we were just friends and, um, something, I, I saw something in his eyes switch. Uh, he was like, Oh, well, yeah, you all, you always talked about him and how much you liked him and how much you respected him. And, you know, he's kind of the obstacle that was in our path of us moving forward. Mm. I was like, 
not really like the hope in saving you yeah I was like no it was probably the narrative that I had was that I was responsible for your sexuality and for your porn use and I couldn't fix that anymore so um so we he ended up uh asking me to join him for the middle of the day for lunch and I went over which one uh, the guy who I had dated okay so I I went over to his house during lunch we left campus together he drove me there and uh we were, I remember thinking, okay, are we ever going to eat lunch? Because we just sat in his room for a while. Um, and then he raped me. And I just, I remember being laying there. And it, you know, it just started off as just like normal kissing. And I was like, okay, this is weird, but where is this going? And then it was right back to 17-year-old me who suddenly was being touched. And mm-hmm. I'm, and this time I was saying, no, please stop. No, I don't want this. And it happened anyway. And um, so that happens. And I, I looked at him afterwards and he, he got up and he said, let's, let's go back to school. And I looked at him and I hugged him. I hugged him and I said, I, I didn't want that to happen. And I hugged him because I was so scared that I wasn't going to be mm. like, I wasn't going <laughs> to survive or something like my brain just went into do whatever you need to do to get out of there. Trauma mode. Oh, totally. Um, so we got back at school and then I, uh, I called my, I, I texted my friend and I, I texted her and I said, I just had sex. What do I do now? And, uh, this friend had had sex before marriage as well when not, she was not dating. I was raped and how do I report him? No, but what, what, what no, hundred percent in my mind, it was, I had had sex. So I, you know, I text, I, I call her and she's like, oh, it's okay. You know, you'll, you'll be okay. It's hard, but you can, you know, you might not be able to take the sacrament for a couple months, but you can get back and, you know, call your bishop. And so I, at this point, I am about to go into work. I'm sick to my stomach. I am shaking. And I think I just had sex for the first time. <laughs> um, so I, I call my bishop. I go to the bishop's office or I go to his house because it was a Friday night and I'm just devastated. And I walk in and he's like, what can I do for you? And I slide my temple recommend across the table to him. And I'm like, I'm no longer worthy of this. And he's like, okay, well tell me what happened. And um, so I, I start saying, start describing to him what happened. And he, is this the same bishop that yes, provide you good resources? Thank goodness. Yes. Same bishop. And he, he stops me and he says, no, you didn't have sex. You were raped. And it just suddenly was like, that's what that he was. He called it out. He called it out. Excellent. Yes. And he said, I have, I've known you for a while. I've been working with you for a while. From what you've described, your relationship with this guy, you've tried really, really hard. And he has not respected that. And he took full advantage of you and he raped you. And I just sat there stunned. I finally had a word for what was happening. And um, thank goodness this bishop was so in tune. And he said, you know, I don't know how to help you. He said, I can help you with spiritual healing if you need it. But I don't know how to help you. And I'm going to pay for you to find help. Because at this point, I also didn't have insurance. And I was too afraid to tell my parents. So I'm like, oh. Uh, what do I do? And I, I didn't go, you know, to the hospital to get any forensic exams done because I didn't know I had been raped. And suddenly this, there, here's this 
ecclesiastical leader pointing me in the direction of help. And it was life-saving. So he, he paid for me to see a therapist, and I was in therapy within a week. And that made all the difference in my life. Is, and I had a male therapist. Who I was, he said, I'm going to send you to a male therapist. And I said, oh, what have you been smoking, Bishop? I'm not going to go sit across from a man and tell him what happened. And he said, I think that you need a man to listen to you. And so I, I had to say. This bishop was in a, a council. He had no training? No. No so training. This is interesting. As uh, Sorry. I, I, I think this is actually an important concept that a totally. lot of people don't realize. When I was working in my training I was serving the community in a community center, and I was that was the first time that I found women who had been raped were asking for male therapists. Mm-hmm. And that was before I really understood something called gestalt therapy, Yes, uh, which, uh, if you're familiar. Yeah. And this is their opportunity. There's many reasons to do this, and there are some, I want to be clear, there are some reasons not to do it either um, also. And so what this allows, and I'm curious to hear your experiences, is I like how the bishop said it, is it gives a man an opportunity. You get to have a man listen to Mm -hmm. you and validate you. It also provides the victim an opportunity in a gestalt model, for those who aren't familiar. Um, There's this concept of empty empty chair or Mm -hmm. uh, imagining that the therapist is your um, aggressor and you lash out at them in, in, in a therapeutic way or whatever, you mm-hmm. confront them that way. And so it's, it, it can be very therapeutic if you're ready for, for that. Mm-hmm. It's always hard to tell. Yeah. Uh, but what was your experience? It, it, so he suggested this. You were, it, it looked like mm-hmm. you're a little surprised. Totally. Uh, but you followed through and you found a male therapist. Yeah. He, he actually gave me a referral. He said, I, he had had a friend who was a therapist or was very aware of clinical concepts or whatever that she she suggested I see a man so he he gave me the number um I called and called and made the appointment myself and um I walked in not really knowing what to expect I had never been to therapy before and I walked in and I sat down and um just kind of started talking about my life and my past and everything that was going on in this relationship and um being stuck on the concept of like, I had lost my virginity. One thing that he said in that first day was, no, no, you don't lose your virginity. That's a social construct. You don't lose your virginity. No one takes that from you. And that was the beginning of realizing, okay, I've got some very unhealthy and harmful narratives in my mind and I need to change them. So you're presenting this as very accepting and like, oh yeah, was it like that for you at the moment? Did you push back at all? Did you, what was your uh, awakening healing process like? Was it difficult to receive that information or was it healing? The The difference was, is that he ha- he was clinically trained. And so he, as opposed to like saying it to like a bishop he or a parent, he had this clinical training to, I could see the surprise on his face when I was telling him these things that I thought were normal. Right. And so much like right now, I'm telling you things and you have these surprise looks on your face and it's so validating. Oh, good. (laughs) Right. Like it is 100 percent validating to think these things that I thought were normal that every girl experienced are horrifying to this man. And he he would never treat a, a girl this way or a female this way. And I can see it on his face. And he's a member of the church. And this is the therapist. This isn't right. Yeah. This therapist. Um. So that was probably what made me actually accept it was that there, here's this guy who believes the same thing I do 
who's horrified and shocked and in tears at some point with, with what I'm telling yeah. him and how I've assumed and accepted it as normal behavior. Yeah. It, you can't, I, I don't know, I can't speak for every therapist, but I've heard stories and no two stories are the same, right? Everybody's yeah. experience is unique, uh, but it's heart wrenching mm-hmm. each time. I, I hope one, I hope I never get used to hearing it. Right. I, Right. If I do, I need to check myself. Yeah. Right? It, it, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And and again, to repeat what you're saying, this at the beginning, this is why it's so important for, for you to speak out. And I appreciate that. So continue from there. What was your journey like? Uh, how, how long were you in therapy? What, yeah. what was your discoveries along yeah. that path? Well, I think the most important discovery that we made in therapy together was I had this pattern of... Um, dating guys who I thought I could fix because uh, that was also a narrative that I had taken on as like um, as a disciple of Christ and as a woman of Christ like I, I have to fix people and I'm going to like make them better um, and he you know he said you, you date these people who you think you need to fix and this is he said this is like you're going along in your car and I want you to think of your rape as like you've hit a brick wall and that brick wall is stopping you from what could be and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, if I had married that guy, this would have been my life. And I would not have known. And it, it, it always shocks people when I, I say this, but I, I will say I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful for that experience because I walked, I walked out of therapy going, not again. Mm-hmm. No one will ever treat me that way again. And I'm not going to date a guy who's going to treat me like that. And um, long story short, I ended up, date, I ended up marrying that other guy. Uh, the, 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 the one that was <laughs> yeah the one who I always wanted to date while yes. I was dating this other guy we got our act together and we ended up getting married um and uh so that was he and he was the exact opposite he was right he was the guy and ironically um I thought before this experience I was never good enough for him either like here's this amazing incredible oh, yeah. guy and I was like I'm not good enough and I walked out therapy going Oh, I am so good enough for him. And he would be so lucky to have me. What a wonderful <laughs> discovery. And, and uh, you brought up something that we, we kind of glossed over it. I can't tell you how many women end up marrying mm-hmm. a situation like that where, because they, they don't have this discovery. And, yeah. and I'm not, it, this is tragic. Yeah. And it, it's years later that they discover this was mm-hmm. horrible. So I, I appreciate, and I, I realize it's probably difficult for a lot of people mm-hmm. to hear. And I'm not, we're, we're clearly not yeah. saying the abuse was okay. No, uh, not at all. But that, as a result, you were awakened. Uh, it was an opportunity to yeah. uh, get help and to yeah. discover more. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't as simple as having that discovery and everything's better. No, not at all. What was that journey like from, from there on out? You, so you're dating your husband and uh-huh. so we're, we're dating and I'm thinking, okay, like that's the end of our, like my, the end of my sexual problems. Like, and, uh, again, great guy. We start dating. He takes like a month to kiss me. And then it's just like little pecks here and there for months. And I'm finally like, Hey, is, is he aware of this recent experience yet? So at this point, no. At this point. So he's acting all on his accord. He's not, yes. he's not like over. He's um, not being over aware or like oversensitive or overthinking okay. anything. I think that's important for the totally. listeners to know. Yeah. So this is, he, he, he found a guy who's true to, 
you know, yeah. his behavior here. He this is, is living his behavior. He is showing me his behavior. And I'm starting to get worried of like, okay, why is this not unfolding? Why are we not progressing isn't that interesting. at all? And uh, <laughs> you're expecting this will happen. Yes. I'm expecting that this will happen. Um, cause I, I, I wanted to know, I wanted to be able to say, no, I like, I was going to set those boundaries. I'm like, we're going to talk about them. There's going to be none of this business going on. And, uh, we, he kisses me one night and I pull away from it and I go, why won't you kiss me for longer? And he goes, I don't want to have an erection. And I was like, what, <laughs> what are you saying? And he said, if I have an erection, I'm being disrespectful to you. Wow. And he said, my, uh, he had a bishop when he was 16 tell him that erections were breaking the law of chastity. And uh, I was like, Kate, buddy, if we're kissing and you don't have that response, there's something wrong. There's a bigger issue. There, you know, like, <laughs> I was just you was so had shocked. That insight. You had that insight at that time. Yeah. Is that something you learned? Forgive me. I, I'm coming from a, maybe a place of ignorance here in, in making some assumptions. After your your traumatic experiences, it would seem like um, in my na- naive response here. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, you're not. You would you would, you know, some people yeah. might feed that behavior and yeah. say, "Oh, good, now I know I'm yeah. safe." What allowed you to say, "Oh, this is this is actually yeah. unhealthy"? So my my therapist and I worked a lot through that because okay. he my therapist was very concerned that I started dating this guy. Um, cause he said, you know, I your don't want, husband. yes, my now husband, I don't want you to feel like, you know, that you're getting into this relationship where he's saving you and, you know, you're working some through some really traumatic things and we don't want to get that tied up in your relationship. Good. So we worked very closely to, and I was very transparent with my therapist with this now, um, relation, my, my husband. And, um, so I was talking to him about these concerns and, you know, he said, well, why don't you just ask him? You know, I was at this point, and we had talked about how it's, you know, an erection is a normal response to any sort of stimulus and not to fear it. So I didn't, I wasn't fearing it. And I, you know, and he said, any guy who's going to respect your boundaries is going to be able to say, my pants will calm down and I won't touch you. And so, and I, I, yeah, I just, I knew this guy was going to be that way. There was just something about him that he, from the very beginning, he respected me. So I have this discussion with him and I'm like, why are you not kissing me longer? And he's like, I don't want to disrespect, mm-hmm. disrespect for you. And I'm like, well, I would like to make out. So <laughs> I'd like to kiss you a little bit longer. And we've been dating for months and let's see if this is going somewhere. And um, so long story short is he, he had a lot of that narrative in his mind that he, he was so afraid of disrespecting women and girls that he had shut down everything. Like I was saying at the beginning. Totally. That, that He's extreme. the opposite. Yeah. It, it, I want to point out, and I, I hope you don't feel like I'm putting you on a, a pedestal here, but it sounds like, and I realize we're, we're reflecting back on the past, uh, the maturity that you gained to have that conversation is amazing. Mm, thank you. It's, um, and, and I, don't, I don't want that to come out in a way that if others who've been through a traumatic experience can't do that, as any way shameful, but I want to emphasize how significant that is that you didn't just run away or stay or Mm -hmm. not say anything at all. There's, there's this culture of don't talk about it at all, right? but you used it as an opportunity to connect with him, which is a a huge part of what I believe is, is Mm -hmm. healing. 
creating mm-hmm. connection. Totally. Have an awareness of each other as opposed to assuming and labeling and uh, ignoring or, or just not discussing. Right. That is, I, I'm trying not to be uh, extreme in my language, but that is truly impressive. Thank and, you. Uh, I think it's important for the listeners listeners to understand both how difficult that is mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that you were able to do it was beautiful. Thank you. Well, and I, I do, you know, it was so helpful to be falling in love at the same point in therapy <laughs> weekly and at the same point having these really open discussions with the suitor. And um, so we'll fast forward a couple of weeks and we're, uh, he's doing something playfully. Like, I think he picked me up and like twirled me around and I had a traumatic response and I shoved him and he like stepped back and looked at me and was like, I'm so sorry. I, I'm so sorry. And I was like, Oh no, 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 no. You're fine. Like, I just don't You're like still taking the responsibility. Yeah. I was like, I just don't like being picked up. Like I, uh. and later that night I thought, okay, I've got to tell him what's going on. I don't want him to think that this is his fault. And oh, I, that's right. Because you had you hadn't sh- shared with him yet. So yeah. This so at this point, he has no idea wow. what's going on. And um, so I sat him down on the couch and I said, "Listen, this is what's happened, and I understand if you want to walk away." And he was like, "Why would I walk away?" And he just sat and cried. What a different experience. So different. He sat and cried with me. He held me while I cried, and he, I don't know how he did this, but he managed his traumatic response in front of me. So he, he cried, he, and I told him, this is a lot for you to handle. I understand that if you need to tell someone, if you need to tell your parents, if you need to tell a bishop, if you need to tell a friend, please tell someone so you're not holding this by yourself. I have my people who are holding it with me. Please get your people. And he, that's when he had his traumatic response of like, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to find him. You know, that's when he had his response to my trauma, but I was, I didn't have to carry it. And I think that's why we are married. I'm, I'm <laughs> he was able it. to separate that. <laughs> yes. And, and I'm going to point that out. How crucial that is, again, not to put you on a pedestal, but your your ability to create differentiation in the relationship mm-hmm. early on and not feel like while you're communicating and being open and creating connection, you also emphasized, I'm carrying my load. I've got my people. Mm-hmm. And if this is concerning, the most effective way to do it is get your own people. Yeah. Let's not blend our, our, our trauma together. Yeah. Let's support each other, but let's yeah. not be each other's therapist. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's a fine line there, yeah. of course, but very impressive. Yeah. And, so and his, his mom was a ther- has been a therapist, and so I said, like, please talk to your mom about this. And I was trying to not be ashamed. And so I didn't want this to be a secret. So I didn't want, you know, to be like, oh, my girlfriend's gone through something, but I can't tell my parents about it. It was like, if I'm a part of your family, this is a part of my life. Like this, we're not going to put it in a closet. It's just going to be out there. It's what it is. Um, And so our relationship progressed. He went to therapy by himself. He came to therapy with me a few times and uh, we fell in love and we got married. And I was like, okay, here we go. Like here comes sex, real sex. Uh Uh-oh. Good sex. So, so it is good. Everything's great. Uh, happy ever after, right? We, we would like to think, right? So back to my bishop, great, insightful bishop. We're, we are getting, we're getting ready to get married, and he, he pulls us into his office, and he says, you guys, this is going to be hard for Sarah. It's going to be really hard for Sarah to go from 
um, these traumatic response, these traumatic experiences to let's do it all in one night. And he says, I'd like you to explore each other's bodies. And he said, you're only, he gave us limits and he said, you know, your only limits are oral and penetrative sex. Your bishop counseled you <laughs> My this. bishop. I, I want his name and number. <laughs> I know, right? I, I, this is <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah. So when you heard him say that, what was your response? Well, I was like, well, jaw dropped because mm-hmm. my, my husband's bishop um, at that time, he was like, you can't touch each other at all. Like Satan's going to be trying to destroy oh, you yeah. as a family. I and if you, yeah, time. if you touch each other at all, you're going to have sex. Like you, you're the passion's just so alive. No touch. You no whatsoever. longer have agency. Right. Like we're children again. Yeah. And then we had my bishop who was like, please get to know each other before you have sex. And we talked about it as a couple and we, you know, we decided, okay, what is appropriate for us? What do we feel like we can handle? What, you know, what's our plan in case we start to feel overwhelmed? What's, you know, what happens if I have a traumatic response and what are our boundaries? And we talked about those things that people don't talk about in their marriage for years. And it just set us up on what I thought was the perfect happy ever after. So we get married in the temple. We have a great sex life for like a couple of months. And then I can't get there. I cannot have, I can't climax. And I remember (laughs) it was, um, Valentine's night. I had bought like on a meager student income. I had bought this like red piece of lingerie and I was so excited and I was anticipating it so much and looking forward to connecting so much. And then I was feeling the feeling, feeling the buildup and then boom, exhaustion can't get there. My husband like gets up and like puts his garments back on. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so broken. I am so broken. And that, that was my spiral back downhill that night. That's when everything changed from it being something that my husband and I participate in together where um, my pleasure matters as much as his pleasure. And it, we need to be clear that my it does. My husband has all, has never once pressured me. He's always been 100% understanding. We both just didn't have the tools. Um, so this is, this is the spiral of... You not only didn't have the tools, because I mean, that's my concern in general, is no one's taught how to mm-hmm. have intimate relationships, sex, yeah. and orgasm. Who teaches that? Yeah. Um, but you're up against also trauma. Yeah. And so you've got a few fronts here that you're battling yeah. and this is, this is happening at this moment. Right. So where do you go from there? So months progress and I am just becoming increasingly more depressed and I'm bec- feeling increasingly more isolated. Um, I start seeing a different therapist. I had moved. So I had a different therapist. It was a sex therapist and the sex therapist kept telling me, you know, it's this trauma that's in the way of you being able to connect with your husband. And I was sitting there saying, it's not the trauma. I've worked through so much of the trauma. Of course I have bad nights where something triggers me and I can identify the trigger and work through it, but I, it's not the trauma that's preventing me from this. So I tried a different sex therapist and I tried an OBGYN and I tried a different OBGYN. And the problem was, is I would feel the buildup and I would, you know, we'd be in the moment and we'd be feeling really, really good. And then I would just hit this wall of exhaustion. And it felt like I was being knocked off my feet. And it was time and time and time again. And I just started feeling like 
I'm only here to be like this vessel for other men's pleasure. And it's not, my husband's not making me feel this way. This is how my, how God designed my body to be a vessel for other men's pleasure, not my own for other men's pleasure. And, um, that was the beginning of just months, years of severe depression and anxiety. And um, it got so bad that I had suicidal ideation. You know, because my husband and I have always been able to be so transparent from the beginning, I was able to disclose to him that I was having these ideations. And, you know, he said, okay, you've got to get help. Like, this is obviously not working. It terrified him enough that I could see it on his face of like just the idea of that was so scary. I don't think I could ever go through with it, which kind of brought me back to reality. But um, so we nothing's changing. I'm just super depressed. I'm seeing doctors who are saying we're just going to prescribe you these antidepressants. It will kill your libido. Um, here's some anti-anxiety work on your trauma. So I start EMDR. And so for those of the, the listeners, it's a, a great uh, form of trauma therapy where you process it without really describing it. So you're not re-victimizing yourself. Um, you're processing more of like what your body's holding on to. So I go through it and I'm like, there, that's not the trauma. It's not, th- there is something stopping me physio- Like My physical body is stopping me. There's something in the way. I can feel it. So again, I'm just hopeless. No one's believing me. Every single person is telling me it's your trauma, which was at this point more traumatic than my trauma. Interesting. Yes, I was, <laughs> I was actually going to point that out. And uh, well, I, I won't jump ahead here. I I, I'm, I want to reflect back on that. But so what was it? What, what did you end up discovering? So I so we move out of state and I'm talking to this woman in, the, in my new ward and something she was a doula. So for those who, who aren't aware of what a doula is, they're basically a birthing partner. So they, she professionally like goes in and helps women deliver their babies as their advocate. And I had, she had mentioned to me that what got her interested in it was she had had a traumatic response giving birth because she had been molested as a child. Mm-hmm. And that resurfaced for her during her birth. And I was like, holy crap, like that might happen to me. And so I disclosed to her, um, my, my history of sexual assault. And then I disclosed to her my problem of not being able to climax. And she didn't bad an eye. She said, Oh, go visit a pelvic floor physical therapist. Mm. And she gave me a name. So I made this appointment and I go in. And at this point I, I have kind of like this PTSD from visiting providers because none of them believe me. Everyone is telling me, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it ranges from like, it's your trauma to like, let go of how you view yourself you know, your body image. Po- and I'm like, I've never once said that I don't like the way I look in sex. Like, <laughs> you know, everyone's pointing out these like emotional things or these things that like we put on women that I was like, it's none of those. I'm not telling like, listen to me, please. So I walk in and I sit down and, and she, she started crying. My, this physical therapist. And she said, you are the hardest client to get in my doors because you, everyone gives up on you. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, well, gives up on you in the sense of they think it's something else. Yes. Yes. They think it's yep. something else. And she said, it is so common. She said, my, the clients who have it the most are religious clients, which I think is ironic. That's well studied. Mm-hmm. actually. Very religious people um, and athletes. And I was both. Mm-hmm. So she, she remembers saying, you'll have an orgasm within a month. 
And I was going, yeah, right. So, so let me pause you there before we get on to the yeah. healing, hopefully, is, <laughs> is um, that's what I was wanting to speak to, is in no way is this a criticism. I am so thankful for the research and the skills that trauma therapists and trauma training in general mm-hmm. has brought to clinicians. However, what I'm seeing is an imbalance in mm-hmm. assessment. Mm-hmm. A lot of clinicians are jumping to trauma, which isn't an, isn't wrong. And trauma is yeah. still playing a part of your totally. life. Totally. However, there's your body's made up of a bunch more things mm-hmm. than just trauma and just the things that you were bringing up. Everything needs to be explored, and and I think that's a critical part of assessment. And I'm in a tricky spot as a as a male therapist mm-hmm. who often will engage in thorough assessment. Like yes fully recognize there's mm-hmm. trauma is there potentially anything else biologically going on emotionally going on that's disconnected from that and that's often perceived as minimizing trauma and it's a tricky place to yeah. be in um, because absolutely there's trauma there but i'm seeing a lot of what's happening what happened to you yeah. where your actual health concern wasn't related to the trauma at least not the majority of it yeah and uh Finally, somebody found out. Yeah. You found the right person, rather, yes. and they guided you. So do you yeah. mind sharing what the procedure was? I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah, so it was just um, pelvic floor physical therapy. Yeah. So um, it was all internal work. So basically she you know, inserted her fingers into my vagina and was able to release the tension. And what she said that was so profound was um, she said, <laughs> and at this point I have my MSW and I am – I'm like, I'm a therapist. I'm going to be a therapist. This is my passion. Um, So I'm talking to her about like all these terms. And she's like, yeah, don't you guys like read that book, The Body Keeps the Score? Yeah. And don't you guys like understand that you hold trauma in your body? And I was like, yes, actually, like I do know that. And she's like, well, where do you think you hold it? And I said, well, (laughs) I don't know, like my whole body. She said, in your pelvic floor. Mind blown. Right. So what she did is in her assessment, she found that and she likened it to um, bicep curls. She said, your vaginal walls have to go up and down like you would do a bicep for you to orgasm. And she said, yours are so tight that they can't loosen. They can't physically make that sensation happen. They can't have that. They won't. So we did um, some exercises and, and I had to relearn how to do certain things. Um, I had to essentially learn how to orgasm. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of happiness. Like that was the beginning of the fairy tale for me was uh, learning, becoming one with my body. And when I say one with my my body, for anyone who who has a period, who has a uterus, who has, Mm -hmm. you know, a pelvic floor, that includes you men, understand what's going on with your pelvic floor. That is where you're holding your stress, where you're holding your trauma. And and since then, I have been able to identify when I suck in. And I know I do it. You know, when I am triggered or when I'm stressed or if I'm uncomfortable or if I, I'm feeling vulnerable, I can suck in my muscles and I feel it. Mm-hmm. It's like this, please don't look at me and I'm sucking in. It's totally this trauma fear response. And I can now push myself back out into relax. And I have control of what's going on with me. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time that's ever happened. 
I was able to, to orgasm. Um, we have a great sex life now. We've had since had a baby and that, that didn't break me. I thought that was going to ruin me again. I wasn't afraid to have a child and it helped bringing a child in. I used the same things that I learned in, in therapy and, um, I survived. <laughs> what a story, not a story. What a life. <laughs> yeah. Um, my goodness, uh, that journey. So was it what the doctor did? Did that get you to uh, successful orgasm? Was mm-hmm. there other things that you did to help yourself along? Yeah. So so basically um, what she would do is um, she would use her fingers on muscles and release them. Mm-hmm. So much like you would lengthen a muscle or much like going to the gym, right? You learn how to turn your muscles on and off when you're lifting weights. Um, and she helped me learn how to do that. Then I had to learn how to breathe again because I was breathing incorrectly. Like who even knows that you can breathe incorrectly? But I was breathing in, sucking in, doing any time I worked out, sucking in, holding that that pelvic floor in tight. Um, I learned to masturbate. That was a big one, right? Learning my body. What, what was the purpose of that? Just uh, was it to help heal or what, what was the purpose of masturbating? So the purpose of that was to a figure out how my body worked right? How, what feels good now that my, now that I know my body can react to pleasure, what feels good? Um, we started over basically. So, and that came from, and this is the part that blows my mind is how we expect our young people or any people to walk into a marriage, not knowing their body. So I learned my body with that. I helped my husband learn my body. So his confidence grew, my confidence grew, our intimacy was connected for the first time it felt like it was a partnered experience this is this is important for a lot of latter-day saints to understand i'm not going to sit here and say that masturbation should be a part of everyone's life however when we as especially Mm -hmm. latter-day saints who are clinicians make a blanket uh statement which i've seen recently um and social media and some pretty well-respected therapists who are LDS uh, say that any therapist who encourages masturbation is um, not in line with their faith. I, it's, yeah, thanks for the eye roll. (laughs) It's, it's the potential damage of that message Mm -hmm. um, is destructive uh, to say, (laughs) to say the least, mm-hmm. um, I have seen so many women who have been abused, uh, who have had similar life experiences, and they carry that on with them mm-hmm. because that message was communicated to them. And they, are, they feel understanding their body is breaking some eternal covenant. Oh, totally. Um, it's, it's the only thing we see in, in the medical industry uh, that seems to be the exception within our faith is, you know, you go to a doctor and get some mm-hmm. drugs, right, mm-hmm. to help you or you you do. And I hate to use that analogy because I don't even think they're the same in the sense of uh, risks or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but masturbation is a form of learning your body. Right. Especially when you've been abused where somebody has had control over your sexual mm-hmm. narrative, not just story-wise, not from church history or yeah. ch- your church up- upbringing, but somebody has abused you, you need a way to reclaim yeah. 
your your sexual identity yeah. or to even claim it. Yeah. <laughs> you never you never did. And masturbation, well, a lot of people, I get a pushback and say, well, that's what you do in marriage. You're not, <laughs> you, you don't understand. It's still mm-hmm. involving somebody. Yeah, yes, you can, even though you trust your partner. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a reality to uh, being able to own your own body. And mm-hmm. when you do that, you could bring your whole self yes. to the table. Yes. But if you do it as a part, especially in something as intimate and vulnerable as this, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's really, really difficult to have your own sexual identity. Yes, uh, totally. You will always carry some sort of some form of a uh, identity from your partner yeah. in, in that, and that's not owning your own sexual no, not identity. At all. And, and as another side note, a lot of men misunderstand, and women don't don't know this either, is or probably just as much. Um, men don't understand their body either. Yeah. Just because they ejaculate doesn't mean doesn't mean they had an orgasm. Yeah. And when I tell men that, they're like, "What? What are you talking about? You need to learn mm-hmm. how to have an orgasm. It doesn't always mm-hmm. come naturally." And uh, I think men really mistake that also. Not to divert from your, your, I think that was an important concept that you brought up. That I, I think men also fail to understand. Yeah. Uh, it's important for us to learn our yeah. bodies just as much. Well, and this is. <sighs> This is kind of the one thing that will probably influence my parenting the most <laughs> when it comes to sexual health is I didn't know what bad felt like because I didn't know what good felt like. Exactly. <laughs> right? So all of these horrible things are happening to me and I'm like, oh, this is what good is. Well, good sucks. Like, and I, I would talk to women and, and they would say like, oh, you'll just know when you'll know. And it's I'm like, please give me some concrete understanding of how my body works when I could have discovered that at a, an appropriate age as a teenager and learned myself how to know my body when my body needs help, when I need help, when something's wrong and bro and not working correctly, I could have learned that and taken all of that lesson into a marriage. And instead what happened was I did, I had years of sexual assault. I had years of feeling so isolated and feeling so alone and forgotten by, you know, a heavenly father, because at the same time, I'm like, where the heck is heavenly mother? If I can't like, who, who is going to tell me how my female body works? And so I have this huge faith transition and this huge faith crisis. And it's like, I, I could have learned this lesson. All of this could have been avoided if someone could have given me the tools and the vocabulary to know. <laughs> and that's why I'm super passionate about it. Is I love it. <laughs> I love it. This, it doesn't need to be this way. I'm so happy that things are healing for you. And not just healing. It sounds like you're really thriving. Mm-hmm. And you're using this as an opportunity to share your passion, your your education. Um, I, I, I do want to revisit if you, if you have time. Sure. Uh, what is your view on, so we, we made a comment at the beginning about the pornography and how your views have changed. Um, I'd be curious to explore that. So yeah. well, how do you view, so I, I don't want to move on too quickly or, or, or confuse topics, but let me quickly sum, summarize. Because of the lack of education um, you and, and the modesty teachings, you took on this responsibility uh, that you were, 
you're responsible for men, mm-hmm. period, regardless mm-hmm. of age. What a burden. What a scary yeah. thing. Uh, and as you started to heal, you discovered that you get to have a body. You get to have your own sexual desires. You get to heal. And I thought it was interesting that you also experienced a faith crisis, which I do see. Mm-hmm. And this is so unnecessary, unnecessary in the sense that if we just teach good sex ed yeah. or uh, answer the questions and not be afraid of because we're answering questions. That's why I set up my group was ask all the questions yeah. you want. I don't yeah. care how crazy you feel like they are or yeah. taboo. We have to discuss these things. Um, it doesn't necessarily give you permission to do it. Yeah. It, th- I don't know why we think about it that way, but it, I've seen others where in their 40s or 50s, they realize, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. if I can't believe my church leaders on this, yeah, and they experience we don't have to have that experience. We don't have to. I mean, yeah. this isn't like church history or blacks in the priesthood or, yeah. or sorry, I don't want to uh, equate those. Uh, but, but the point is, is we have that understanding yeah. now. We have good medical research and science. And uh, leeway now or segue into what do you understand now about porn and how it did or didn't contribute or, or affect the narrative that you were taught? Yeah. So... Now my my opinion is <laughs> I don't necessarily want the church to talk about sex, period. Like, I just want them to say have sex. Porn, sex, anything. <laughs> yes, because there's just, it, it doesn't, they don't belong in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And, and why I say that is because it's so personal and what works for one person is not going to work for another person. And first of all, until they can come with me with the clinical understanding that professionals have of hundreds of hours of education, the narrative's not going to change. And with that, so, uh, and part of this came through my own clinical education, was understanding that porn is not currently a classifiable addiction and understanding what makes an addiction an addiction and what makes (laughs) pornography not an addiction helped me understand my behavior is my behavior and their behavior is their behavior. Wow, I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> That's exactly right. And my sexuality is my sexuality and my husband's sexuality is his. At the beginning of our marriage, right, we felt so responsible for each other. And through this process of learning, okay, I have my own body that has its own needs and I'm a hiring desire partner. You have your body that has needs and you're the lowering, lower desiring partner. How do we make this marriage work? came through accepting, okay, you, we've got to find tools to add to our tool belt for when we have differences in expectation, when we have differences in needs. And part of that's come through, you know, accepting not all porn is bad. <laughs> and people always, porn so, so is such a hot topic. Yeah. It's such a buzzword right now. I, just for, for the sake of the listener, because I know already they're, they're, people are freaking out, freaking out right yeah. now. I, I'm, and you clarify, uh, just based on what little we've talked about, I, I, I'm going to clarify, then you you correct me or you add to, is one of the biggest problems is uh, I've, I've talked with thousands of people now, and I've yet to hear one, the same definition of porn yeah. from two people. Totally. Um, you know, I, I, I have, it, it, I'm saying this not out of criticism. Everybody has the choice to do what they feel is best, uh, but this is where it gets prob- problematic when I'm working with 
a couple who wants a divorce over finding out that one had watched an R-rated movie because <laughs> right. it had some. In, it, and for those who it's serious, treat that, that they, very yeah. serious, I, I, I'm not minimizing you, but right. this is the core of the problem. And so when I hear you say that um, not all porn is bad, that's yeah. what I think I'm hearing from you. Is is that what you're saying? Yes. And okay, so let's talk. Let's take it back even to that abusive relationship where I said that he was he disclosed that he was watching porn. Um, at the time, he was like, oh, I'm a porn addict. I've been a porn addict since I was 14. He was looking at porn twice a week. And it was, sh- like, straight porn. Like, man, woman, mm-hmm. missionary porn. Mm-hmm. Like, and now to think that he was carrying around that burden of thinking he was a porn addict. I'm like, no wonder you didn't listen to me say no. You had already he lost. Was carrying that weight. You had, ar- you had already felt like you were out of control of your behavior. You had already said you were an addict, which you don't have responsibility for your behavior. In that sense, like, I just feel compassion for him. And I feel compassion for anyone who's carrying around that. So many people are probably thinking right now, you are justifying. And you are are, uh, um, sympathizing with your abuser. And I'm not hearing that at all. What I'm hearing from you is a solution. Yeah. If we want to solve this abuse problem, this is not minimizing his porn use. It's, it's, uh, or porn in any degree, it's what works. Yeah. Think about any person. I can't imagine like that 14 year old that I was talking about at the beginning or what you experienced. I can't imagine what you experienced thinking you were responsible for all men's Mm -hmm. desires and how you carry that and how that makes you now respond. Again, I'm not excusing people's bad behavior, but right. if we want a solution, we got to actually right. talk about the problem totally and how to fix it. Yeah. And that's stop putting fear into, into everything, people. into sex, leave it out. And that, and I'm to clarify, I'm not pro porn either. There's horrific things that happen in that industry, but what I'm saying is, can it, have a spot in individual relationships and and you know this is a vulnerable for for me thing for me to say but when I was learning my own body I was watching porn Mm -hmm. because a it was a safe place for me to engage in sexual activity in what felt like partnered sex which was allowing me to feel like I could let my husband in and to learn a little bit from it like I was I was learning okay okay, they're, they're turning things up. I'm going to try turning things up. And it helped. And the mechanics. Yes. <laughs> it, well, well, no, no, it goes beyond mechanics. Yeah. It goes, it goes into, um, just every aspect of sex. Yeah. Where do you learn that from? Yeah. You don't learn that from a, yeah. you learn maybe basic com- uh, mechanics from yeah. a textbook or yeah. from maybe a, a good sex therapist, uh, right. uh, book or something like that. But a lot of people learn through visual. Right. And that's learning. how I'm a visual learner. And this is the difference between me watching porn and a 14-year-old watching porn. I'm a grown-up. I know that it's staged. I know that there's stop and go, that there's clips, that there's enhancement drugs. I know that it's entertainment and not reality. A 14-year-old doesn't necessarily know that. I've had experience of going, oh, yeah, it's awkward, and you queef, and you laugh, and there's all these embarrassing things that happen, and you still love each other. And you go back and try again. That doesn't happen when we're, you know, when we're young and impulsive and adolescent and we're trying to figure things out. It's adult entertainment for a reason. 
so my views on porn have changed a little bit. Again, I'm not pro-porn, but what I am pro is allowing my partner to have his own sexuality. Oh, sorry. Yes. Right? And education. And that comes with, you know, and a a, a good experience of this was right after we had um, our baby, I was like three weeks postpartum postpartum going, what is wrong with me? I need to have an orgasm and I'm not supposed to need this right now. I'm not supposed to want this. Right. I just had a baby. I'm supposed to be like so anti-sex and so anti-touch. What's wrong with me? Again, why am I like craving this? And Googling, like, is it okay to masturbate right after you've had a baby? And the internet, of course, because who am I gonna ask? Right? Like I just still feel like I don't know who to ask. Should have probably asked a, ther- a sex therapist, but um and being like, no, I'm normal. This is normal. But then at the same time, not necessarily wanting to engage in partnered sex and allowing my husband that to have his needs and not feeling responsible for it. it. It doesn't mean he doesn't love me. It doesn't mean I don't turn him on anymore. It just means, listen, babe, I'm not in the mood. I can't get there. I want you to still have your needs taken care of. Maybe we can do something together, watch something together. You feel you. I I sit here and nurse this child and you do you, babe. Like, that's, that is what I'm talking about. Let us, let's allow people to figure it out for themselves instead of putting fear and shame. And if you look at porn, you're not, you don't love your partner. Let's leave that out of the equation. That's not a part of it at all. Wow. I, I, we, we can, <laughs> my goodness, you are saying things that um, I, I've been trying to communicate for a long time and this concept of we don't have control over our partner's bodies or their desires, yeah. nor should we. Never. In every, I, it would be wrong, absolutely wrong. And I know people are going to say, well, it's not the same. Uh, you can only eat dinner when I'm eating dinner. Yeah. Um, we can only work out when we're working out together. Yeah. That In any other situation, we would see that as abuse mm-hmm. or controlling or manipulative, but when we, and again, for like my wife and I love to work out together and I actually hate working out when I'm not working out with her. Mm-hmm. That's a little different because it's, it's, it's something we really love to do together. Right. But if I go work out, she's not going to say, why are you doing that? Yeah, You're cheating on me. You're, you're cheating on me. <laughs> I know a lot of people are like, They're not the same. Well, they kind of are in the yeah. sense of you're still an individual Yeah. and you still have desires, needs, and I love this, uh, the example you gave, you, you just gave birth and, or he may have his desires yeah. and, and you are not ready to be there yet. Yeah. I couldn't show up without resent and I don't exactly. want resent in my marriage. I don't want that in my sex. I don't want it in my behavior. And if I can, if he can have his own sexuality and I can have mine, there's no place for resentment. There's no need. So it, it's what it has done is that I have stopped crying myself to sleep when I feel like I, my needs haven't been taken care of or I can't fulfill his. He has stopped feeling like he's not the macho man who isn't providing for me and blah, 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 that silly narrative. He, he's, he's in school right now as well as working. So he, a lot of times I'm like, babe, let's get it going. And he's like, I haven't stopped thinking in 16 hours. (laughs) And I'm like, am I supposed to just be like, fine you never take care of me absolutely not I take care of myself it's not his responsibility and at the same time when when he wants to show up for me he might need a little help 
And maybe he's going to, you know, he might look at something or he might listen to something or, you know, he might watch something to help him get it started and then come and join me. So you, you just answered my next question is there's going to be a lot of people who say, well, then if he can do that, if you can do that, then why do you need each other? And that is the prime. I don't know if it's the prime, but that is one of the biggest indicators of how poorly educated mm-hmm. we are on on sex and desire. Yeah. And every single person and I'm very careful with saying absolutes, but every single person I've talked to and worked with who has that view, that differentiation, mm-hmm. um, which is becoming a hot word now. Yeah. Like, is that appropriate <laughs> or not? It, my role of success is if it draws you closer to your yeah. wife, your husband, your your spouse, and to the Lord, something's working. Yes. And and so when I hear you say this, it, that's, that's the education we need, right. is not the shame, not the guilt, not the jealousy like what are you doing you're 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 cheating on me no you're doing what you need so right. that you could be with me right and so i i hate to have said all that just to say or ask so have you noticed this improve your relationship oh 100 percent. and and what it's done is um it's taken away that that expectation of like <laughs> i don't know if i'm saying this right but there's like the expectation of unmet unmet needs and what I kind of mean by that is like, if I shave my legs and we don't have sex, I'm pissed. I'm like, why did I shave my legs? <laughs> like, I took care of myself for what? It's just taken away all of that. The transactions. Yes. It's no like, I put forth this, I did the dishes, now it's your response. Like, there is none of that. You do it because you love and desire yes. a partner. Yes. And again, it, it's not like we watch porn all the time. <laughs> and it's not like it's even frequent. But... But what it does allow, and for those people who may be wondering, what is the boundary with that then? And this is the boundary. If it, we have to disclose to each other, um, if it's gotten in the way of us having partnered sex. I love it. It's, that's the rule of the relationship. Right. So if there, you know, if he's, if he's watched it and masturbated and I come in and I'm like, hey, baby, like, let's get things going. He has to let me know why. And, you know, this that hasn't happened yet. He himself is not necessarily interested in, in porn use himself, but he's allowed me to have that if I need it. And I've allowed him to, if he wants to explore it, you know, and I don't even need to know what it is, right? Cause there's part of his sexuality. I don't own it. I don't need to know every aspect of it. Just the same way. I'm pretty sure there's things I don't want him to know about it. <laughs> like, uh, there's probably some fantasies I have that I don't necessarily want you to know about <laughs> and that's okay. Yes. So that's, that is what I think this conversation can look like instead of so much fear and shame. It's let's figure out how to make it work if we need it, if we want it, if we don't great, leave it out just like anything else. What a journey. This is, um, I'm sure the listeners are having a range of experiences. (laughs) I know they're probably a whiplash. Um, we're going from the trauma to the healing, not just the healing, like I've said, but the thriving and the tools that you're using, um, for the most part, at least within our culture, are completely unconventional. Yeah. But these are not the stories we're hearing, but they're successful. Yeah. I know I'm going to, I feel like I have to say it over and over again, like you, you did. I'm not pro-porn. Yeah. I'm pro-healing. Right. And there's resources. And if we want to provide Latter-day Saints with, I, I was just having this conversation with somebody 
uh, a week or two ago about, do you feel like we as a church, well, not as the church providing it, but Latter-day Saints should have a sex ed, like nude uh, course. And I says, well, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I, I, says, I mean, I don't think we have to do it all, yeah. but I do think there are effective and meaningful mm-hmm. resources out there, but it's a valid question. Yeah. If we're going to improve our marital intimacy, and I'm not just talking sex, but everything about it, we have got to provide better how yeah. to. Right. Um, when we go through, it's one of my biggest corn, uh, pet peeves with, with the manuals is, we always say like this whole theme has been today is uh, what not to do. Yeah. But then when we talk about what to do, love, love yeah. your partner. Yeah. What, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not mocking that, yeah. but I've been married to my absolutely amazing partner for, for over a decade now. And we're still learning yeah. what love means. Yeah. And it's not at all. We, I mean, we had the seeds of it at the beginning. Yeah. It's different. It's totally different. And it's things we're not taught. Yeah. We're yeah. not taught. And I agree with you. I don't think the church should be teaching us this stuff, but I think we could do an absolutely better job at teaching basic communication, basic consent, basic yeah. boundaries. Yeah. And what does love really look and like? And not shaming our normal physiological needs and behavior. Bingo. Right. And not, yeah. you know, I, I had this like kind of mentality of uh, sex is for reproduction. And then like, you might enjoy it. Right. But it wasn't like sex is supposed to be fulfilling. And I until I couldn't connect with my partner completely sexually, I didn't understand how much of me was missing in sex. And here's the bottom line. I want to say this with compassion for anyone who may feel different and for any survivors out there. But being abused didn't make me want to kill myself. Not being able to be present with my partner in a loving, consensual religiously sound bound marriage made me want to and that is the difference i'm glad you brought that up that's hard to hear i think a lot of people are um going to struggle with that um we i don't want to dilute what what you just said i think we've had a great discussion here and i would love to have you back um and i i think just to wrap up what you you just said is i think we prescribe the wrong uh issues we're having to the wrong problems yeah and i think it's important for us to be aware of that i thank you for your journey it's a vulnerable (laughs) one you're brave and i appreciate you being completely open about it thank you i felt like you have been yeah i think this will benefit a lot of people out there well i hope so because again as i said this was you know my promise to myself is and this is (laughs) it's funny because it's not like this is a experience where I get up on Sunday and I'm like, I'd like to bear my testimony about (laughs) all of this. It's, it feels like it's a socially unacceptable trial. And so when I have the opportunity to share it with people who I know are seeking it, oh, I'm present. I'm all in because it's, no one needs to go through that alone. No one needs to go through a period, but if heaven forbid people are going through it, I'm here with you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you.